Good morning, RCC. Pastor Ben here. Excited to experience church online with you today as we dive into week three of Living Hope. Before we get started, like, like we do every week, uh, I would encourage you to like and share our Facebook Live service uh, so that you and others may join in the experience uh, with you as well. I also want to give a big shout out to our amazing, incredible church, our life group leaders, our ministry leaders who are helping uh, us expand our level of care during this season where uh, we've been invited uh, to stay home and we're not yet allowed to meet together. And I'm just so encouraged that uh, our church is really banded together uh, to make sure that we're caring for one another. I also want to thank you so much for your financial generosity. Uh, man, you guys have showed up in a really big way. And though that we're not meeting technically together in the same space, in the same building, thank you so much for your continual willingness to step into our value of generosity. We do have two ways for you to give. You can give digitally on our giving platform at rccsalem.com giving. Uh, or you can mail in your generosity checks to our physical location at Two Key Wade Drive. Now, before we jump into our sermon this morning, uh, I'd like to have a little fun. I'd like to throw out sort of an icebreaker question uh, to all of our friends and family that are watching online. And here's what I want you to post in the comment section right now. What was, or maybe is currently, but what was your favorite board game, favorite board game to play as a child? Or maybe now that you're forced into forced family fun uh, with our current reality of COVID-19, maybe there's a new game that you and your family started playing and you really enjoy it. Go ahead and take a second, take a moment to comment in our Facebook section what your favorite board game is that you're currently playing or maybe that you enjoyed growing up playing. Uh, I'm an 80s and 90s kid through and through. So man, some of the board games that I played, I loved Monopoly. N not so much, um, these weren't not so much board games, but like Don't Break the Ice, Spill the Beans, Ants in Your Pants, Sorry, and Battleship, right? But there was one game, it wasn't necessarily a board game, that caused me the most grief and anxiety. This game. Jenga. Uh, because Jenga is made for people that um, they don't get flustered easily, they have patience, they have long fingers, and they don't breathe so heavily. Uh, I don't have any of those features, and so I would constantly lose at the game of Jenga. I, I would be so impatient, I just wanted to get over. I've got short, stubby fingers, and I always thought that I would be the first one to knock over the tower. Now, if you've never been fortunate enough to play the game of Jenga, it kind of goes like this. Your goal, get, get, get your family and friends around the tower here, and your goal is each person takes a piece of the Jenga piece off and lays it down, and then it goes to the next person. And what you want to have happen is not you, but somebody else topples it over. Insert me and my family. I would always be the one that would topple over the Jenga tower. I would be too clumsy and too discouraged, and everything would fall over. But it was a game that I grew up playing. I did enjoy it a little bit 
Uh, but it was a lot of fun for me and my family if I could just control my breathing and be a little patient, right? What does Jenga have to do with First Peter? What does Jenga have to do with our sermon series that we're currently in in First Peter? Well, actually, Jenga has a lot to do with it, especially for our sermon today. Sort of like the Jenga pieces that are scattered, uh, you can't see it right now, but some are on the floor, many are on the table, so too were the first century Christians that Peter himself was writing to. And this is sort of, sort of like how we feel. I, 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 I'm starting to sense that and gather that after speaking with you over the last two weeks that, that a lot of things seem to have toppled over, right? And a lot of things seem scattered. And Peter's audience not only felt that way, but lived in that reality as well. This is a group of Christians scattered throughout Rome in an uh, unknown uh, territory. They had to learn new language, new culture, new music, new political systems, new schools. Everything was new because they were scattered and they were living in exile. If you have your Bibles or maybe you download the Bible app, I want to encourage you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to be there uh, largely the majority of our time today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, Peter writes these words, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, an offering, a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this, is the st- this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble, that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Today, as we step into week three of Living Hope, we're calling this teaching the hope of the church. And I want to give you two um, dominant thoughts that I think will be a hope of encouragement, hopefully a hope of um, a word of inspiration for you in the coming week. And the first thing I'd like to say is simply this, though the church is scattered, we are not off-centered. Though the church is scattered right now, we are not off-centered. In 1 Peter 2.4, Peter writes these words, as you come to him referring to Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. I just love that truth. I just love that reality that though the church right now, for us in many churches around the world, we're scattered, but we're not off-centered. Now, 
I don't know if you're going to find this hard to believe or not, but growing up uh, in high school, I had a really good but tough summer job. Uh, I was sort of the low man on the totem pole at a surveying company. My uncle was uh, a crew chief for one of the crews, and he asked me if I wanted a summer job, and I said, yeah, sure, the money sounds great, and uh, I'm going to look really good at the end of the summer being out in the sun all day. Hey, why not? I didn't really know what I was saying yes to. Let me tell you what it means to be the low man on the totem pole for a surveying company. I was the guy that would walk two to 300 yards into a new housing development. I was the guy that carried all the wood, all the stakes, the sledgehammers, all the equipment deep into a new development of property. And I was the guy that was swinging the hammer for about eight to nine hours a day. But there's a there was a point in which I learned a really valuable lesson, that every development for a surveyor basically comes down to a, a traverse point. And so what that means is we would, we would roll into or pull up to a business, uh, a stretch of land, a, a housing development, and I would have to walk to wherever that point was located. I would stand over that point and I would use, here's a fun word, I would use my plumb bob. It's sort of this heavy weight, it's, it's pointed, it looks like a, a vase, and it has a string attached to it that, that I would let down by my waist side, and then whoever was shooting at the camera, they would tell me to tack it, and they had it. Now, why was I doing that? Well, I was doing that because it helped our team be centered as to how we need to pivot and lay out the rest of the road or the rest of the house or even the rest of the housing development. Now, why do I tell you this? Everybody has a point in their life where they have to revert back to to get them through crisis. Regardless if you believe in a God or not, you're super religious or you're not religious at all. Everybody has a point in which they're trying to reconcile the current crisis that we're in with their foundational beliefs, whether that's in theology or philosophy or how they do life or how they think about the world. And Peter, Peter actually knows this. This is why he intentionally calls Jesus a living stone or a capstone when he writes first Peter. Uh, this past week, I was on a Zoom call, myself and a thousand other leaders with Dr. Henry Cloud. And uh, over the course of that, it seemed like about two hours of a Zoom call, he talked about what happens to the body and the brain during crisis. And I want to share four of those uh, things with you today that I think would be worth writing down and thinking through this week. So he shared four aspects of what uh, happens to us during crisis. Number one, he says, our foundation is gone. And the foundation for every person to be human is our connectedness, right? And so right now we feel that we're, we're tied to our homes. Um, we're, we're staying home. We're not trying to congregate in groups larger than 10. And we feel that. We love connection. Now, thankfully, there's Zoom and FaceTime and um, you know different apps that we can talk to our friends face-to-face. But man, that screen gets in the way, doesn't it? And, and it's not the same as having a cup of coffee with a friend or lunch with a friend 
in real time, in a real location, where you could be as close to them as you want to be. We also lose our structure. Our structure implodes. And when our structure implodes, we begin to step into a state of panic. And thirdly, our control is gone, right? And we're starting to ask the question, well, what do we do now? We, we are designed to be control freaks in a good way. There are things that we are good at. There are things that you know people depend on us for. And when we're supposed to be in quarantine and stay at home and those things are stripped away, it's what do we do now? And the fourth and final thing, that Dr. Cloud mentioned that affects us during times of crisis is our lack of competency. In other words, how can I do what I know I'm good at? Maybe for you, you've lost your job during the season. Or maybe for you, you've um, been told to only work from home and maybe the projects for you have, have shrank just a little bit. And, and you're wondering, like myself and other people, how do I still do what I know that I'm good at? Because when we do the things that we know we're good at, right, it brings us life, doesn't it? And so when we're in the middle of this, this crisis, all of these four things are sort of thrown up into the air. And we're scrambling for a sense of foundation, of structure, of control, and of competency. This is why, friends... Peter says that Jesus is our cornerstone, that Jesus is the most foundational piece of the human experience. Jesus is the most foundational piece of what it means to live the Christian life. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that Christians go through crisis better than non-Christians. No, I'm not trying to say that at all. But what I'm, what I'm saying to us today is simply this. We don't have to go it alone. We don't have to figure out the season alone. We can go right to the person that is the center of our well-being, that is the center of our faith, that is kind and caring, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about Jesus is that he was a good leader. And in times of crisis, good leaders name things for what they are. But then they also provide hope, right? We are in the midst of a pandemic. I cannot sugarcoat that. And for a lot of us, it is really hard right now. And I think it's okay to create some space and some time this week to tell yourself and tell Jesus that this is really hard. It's really hard not knowing when the end is going to come. And Jesus is our good leader, right? In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. Now, he names life for what it is. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, here's what he says. In this world, you will have trouble, right? And how many of us, I wonder how many of us would look at that part of the statement and go, well, I might be persecuted for my faith at work. That's probably what Jesus is talking about. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this much of what he's talking about. But we're really getting a sense of what he's talking about right now in the midst of this pandemic. Jesus told us, right, that in this world, you will have trouble. Life is difficult. 
It's filled with mountaintop peaks and very deep valleys. But then he just, he doesn't leave it there, does he? He continues on with a statement of hope. He says, but take heart. Or another way to translate that, calm down. Get some rest. Disconnect from social media. Turn off the TV. Take heart. Why? Because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. This is, church, our cornerstone, the center of our Christian lives. Let me ask you a question. I heard this uh, talked about this week, so it's not, uh, I'm just saying it's not my idea. When, when, when the disciples in the Gospels were in the boat, right, you remember that? And uh, the waters were stirring and a storm was coming and everybody was freaking out. Except for Jesus, he was asleep and the disciples nailed him for that. And Jesus woke up and calmed the storms and they, they made it to shore and got off of the boat and went into town. Right, do you remember that story? Well, here's the question. Did help come? Did the issue resolve after Jesus settled the storm and they got out of the boat and went on their way? No. No. Help came, right? Help came. The issue resolved the moment, not when Jesus and the disciples got out of the boat after they made it to land. The issue resolved when Jesus stepped into the boat before the storm even happened. This is why Jesus can say these beautiful truths. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But, but listen to me, take heart. I have overcome this world. In other words, no matter what you go through, you have the victory. right? I am with you, even when it gets really hard. This is our God, friends. This is our, our Jesus. And this is what Peter is reminding these early Christians that are scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. That though you are scattered, you are not off-centered because your center is not you. Not your opinion. Not your mental health. Your center is the person of Jesus. What a beautiful reminder for us in this season, friends, is it not? Secondly, I want to share with you this other beautiful idea that the church is being formed into a new house. Now, this is some really good stuff. This is some really powerful stuff. Uh, one of the themes in the uh, scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, is this idea that if you wanted to be with God, you had to go to a physical building, right? You had to go to the temple to be with God. That, that, that's where God was. So you had to, depending on where you live, travel for miles and miles and miles to be with God, to worship God, to hand over your animal sacrifices to the high priest. And you had to travel to a physical place in a real-time experience. 
Now, what's interesting about this uh, larger narrative of suffering and God being with us, especially in this season of a pandemic, what's interesting about this is that it is one of the many narratives of the Bible, right? So God... um, God sort of uh, casts out the Israelites and he spreads them out, right? And the temple, God's temple is destroyed. We find this in 2 Kings 25, 8 through 9, when the writer says, On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the 19th year of, Nebuch- uh, of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard, an official king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the world place, and all houses of Jerusalem, every important building he burned down. Now, I think we feel that, don't we? There's nothing more <laughs> that I'm praying for than the Sunday that we get to be back together, Right? It, is, it must have been devastating, friends, to tell a people that this is where you go to meet with God and then to have that building, that structure, that place completely destroyed. And so one of the conversations that Jesus engaged in when he was on this earth was this conversation of when is the temple going to be restored? When can we go meet with God? When can, resu- when can we resume what our ancestors and our forefathers did. And so Jesus had his take on it. And uh, in the Gospels, in John chapter 2, he's sort of dropping the, the hammer on a lot of the religious leaders who are selling stuff. He's thrown over tables in the temple. And the Jews asked him a very interesting question in John 2, 18 through 22. The text reads this, the Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Who gives you the right to come to our church and throw throw chairs around, you know, throw the communion at somebody, uh, you know, tear down the baptistry? Who gives you the authority to do that? Now, listen, excuse me, listen to Jesus' answer in verse 19. Destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words of Jesus had spoken. This is where it gets good, friends. What Jesus is talking about here. In this narrative, this conversation in the Gospels about, you know, we want to rebuild the temple that's where we meet with God. Jesus, God in flesh, said, no, 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 I'm going to rebuild the temple. I'm going to be the cornerstone of what God's going to rebuild. But I'm not going to build it with brick and mortar, layer by layer. What I'm going to do is build an opportunity for people to join me on their journey. In other words, I'm going to go to the cross, die for the sins of the world, three days later, rise again, be raised from the dead, and if anybody believes in me, repents of their sin, confesses me as Lord, goes public in their faith in the waters of baptism, they will be like a brick, that, that a mason would use. 
to build the temple. You see what Jesus is doing here, friends? Jesus is saying, I'm going to build the temple. I'm going to build the church, not with brick and mortar, but with people that have been redeemed by my blood. Isn't that an amazing, beautiful truth? Right? Even in Isaiah 28, 16, we get this subtle head nod of what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter. In Isaiah 28, 16, the writer says, So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, the writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy, most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us uh, through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So what... what What's Peter getting at here? What, what's, the, what's the narrative here of Scripture? What, what's the meta-narrative that Peter is using to talk about the bigger picture of Scripture? Well, he tells us in 1 Peter 2.5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What is Peter talking about? Friends, this is so good. Here's what Peter's talking about. While we are living in exile, right? While we feel like we're scattered and the sense of home and normalcy is far away, we are still part of Jesus's church. And the beautiful reminder or reminders that Peter is telling us is that we don't need a building to go meet with God. When we meet with Jesus, we are meeting with God. Now, and it doesn't stop there, does it, friends? No, because here's the other truth. We are living stones being part of what Jesus is building. So we as Christ followers have the opportunity to be living hope to other people in the midst of this pandemic. Now, I'm not saying that when people come to you, that's like coming to God. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is because we are part of the church that Jesus is building, one relationship at a time, one salvation at a time, we get to be agents of God's grace, of his living hope by simply blessing other people during this season, by simply having conversations of encouragement, by simply Man, having the guts, if we sense that we need to, to ask our friends, hey, where are you in all of this? What, what do you think about God? We get to be an extension of the work of the cross. We get to be an extension of the breath of God. We get to be Jesus's church in the midst of this pandemic, though while we are all scattered, 
We are not off-centered. Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is the center of our lives. Our greatest passion, our greatest love, and our greatest joy. Now, because we are followers of Jesus, we are part of his church. And we get the awesome responsibility and opportunity to be living hope during this crazy season that nobody saw coming. So let me close by asking you this question. What does it look like for you to be living hope for somebody else? Is it a phone call? Is it writing a note, a letter, an email, FaceTime, picking up groceries for somebody in need? What does it look like for you to be Jesus to somebody else? One of the beautiful realities of a living stone and that Jesus uses people to build his church is that living stones sometimes can move, right? And so we get to move and be the church and be the breath of God, even in the midst of a global pandemic. Jesus uses the local church to bring about living hope, even in the midst of a pandemic. Friends, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And so what I'd like to do is simply invite you, if you haven't already, to grab some bread or juice or anything that is uh, similar to that. And uh, we're going to take communion together. And let us be reminded today and each and every day that the reason why the, the church is the living hope is because we are not built on our opinions, our, our preferences. The church is built on Jesus, namely his sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. So friends, this week we take communion together to be reminded that though while we are scattered, we are not off-centered. And we get to be part of the new temple the church that Jesus himself is building. Let us take communion together and reflect on these verses that we'll share with you in just a moment.